Hello, and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. I'm just excited about 2019 and, and looking forward to what's, what's going to happen and what we're going to experience together. But of course, it's the new year, right? And we're turning over new leaves, right? Everybody got yourself a new diet. Come on, I know everybody in the room's got yourself a new diet, new exercise program, all lined up and ready to go, a new gym membership, right? But you made sure you learned what the cancellation policy was just in case, just in case. But don't you wish, like as you're heading in with all these new ideas and new resolutions and, man, new things I'm going to do with my finances this year and things I hope for in my job this year, things I hope for in my marriage this year, my, my relationships, things I hope for in my walk with God this year, things I really want to see God do in my life or in my family's life. Don't you wish, as you kind of look at, at your new goals for 2019, don't you wish you could predict the future? Right? Like if you knew that your diet was going to go off the rails in two weeks, like you could just not even start one. Right? If you knew you're going to cancel your gym membership by February 1st, you could just not even sign up in the first place. Can I hear a good amen? Yeah, that was strong. One of the strongest amens we ever got here. But with all of our new goals, with all of our new, you know, efforts and intentions and resolutions, wouldn't it be cool if we could predict the future? Anybody wish you could predict the future? Now, here's the thing. You've predicted the future before. Did you know this? I'm going to remind you as soon as I say it, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. You have predicted your future before. And I know this because everybody in the room has said at one time or another, I knew that was going to happen. Come on, somebody. (laughs) I knew that was going to happen. Anybody ever tried to paint without a drop cloth? Like, I'm just going to do a little touch-up, and then you drop some, right? Or it gets on your, the jeans that Chelsea told you not to wear. That happened last year. And you knew that was going to happen. You didn't mean for it to happen. I didn't try to let it happen. I was very careful, right? And Anybody ever tried to eat spaghetti without a bib? Come on, you knew what was going to happen. That was your new Christmas shirt. And why are you eating spaghetti at Christmas anyway? Everybody knows you're supposed to eat tamales at Christmas. Can I hear an Amen. But you knew that what happened was going to happen. Even though you hoped for a different outcome, you intended a different outcome, right? You were really, really careful. Maybe you took a risk. Maybe you were juggling too many things and you overlooked something really important. Maybe you trusted someone who had a sketchy track record or ignored the advice of someone who loved you, ignored the voice in your own head. Maybe you even went against what you knew that God wanted for your life. I knew that was going to happen. Or, or, maybe you didn't say those words. Maybe what you said was this. I should have seen that coming. Anybody ever said this before? In other words, what you were saying is, I had the ability to predict my own future, and I didn't tap into my own superpower. I didn't use all of the info. I overlooked something I should have considered. I should have taken that advice. I should have gotten advice, right? I should have asked somebody, I'm smarter than this, I'm better than this, I I don't deserve this. I knew that was going to happen, and I should have seen that coming. And then here's another thing. How many of you know that it's actually easier to predict someone else's future than it is to predict your own? 
She should have seen that coming. He should have known that was going to happen. I knew he'd end up like that. I knew she wasn't going to do that. I knew he wouldn't do that. Why is it that we can predict other people's futures even better and easier than our own? Why is it that other people can seem to predict our futures better than we can? Maybe, you know, the thing is that we can actually see and can actually predict our own future, but we just don't want to think about it. We just don't want to consider it and play the scenario out to its logical end. We're trying to be positive, right? I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. But deep down, deep down, we know where this is headed. Deep down, we knew where this was headed financially. Deep down, we knew where this was going to end up relationally. We knew with you know, our academics or in our professional lives or maybe morally, we knew where it was going. Spiritually, we knew that we would end up farther from God than when we started. The advice we got told us, the, the circumstances we were in, they were hints and, and signposts that maybe we were drifting, you know, and, and we know we should have been doing that, but we were neglecting it. Or we knew we should have stopped doing that, but we found it being more and more a part of our everyday lives. And the Holy Spirit was trying to tell us, but man, we just don't like praying when we're in these kinds of circumstances, right? We don't like bringing it to God when we're there. And then we get to the destination where, you know, we knew we were going to end up. I knew that was going to happen. I should have seen this coming. And we're so shocked. I can't believe my bad luck. And all the while, we knew that was going to happen. We should have seen it coming. And in more cases than we like to admit, we could have predicted our own future. We could have. So, we're starting a new series, and the wording that I'm using is it's a little bit intentional there, and I kind of want us to turn a corner on the way that we look at resolutions and intentions and goals and that kind of thing, and I want us to start thinking about these things in terms of words like, you know, destinations, and in words like arriving and, and direction and, and paths and movement, and, and for the next few weeks, I'm hoping to help us apply some principles to something that we all know. We all intuitively know. I think everybody in the room would be in agreement with this next statement, that life is a journey. Anybody know that? Can I hear a good amen from somebody? Life, it's a journey. And so I, I think it's so important to think about life like this. And here's one of the reasons that I think it's so important that we actually take this aphorism, something that we all agree to, and think about life in, in these kinds of terms. Because if we find ourselves at the wrong destination, if we find ourselves having arrived somewhere where we never intended to get to, I want to give you a little bit of depressing news this morning. There is no quick fix. There is no beam me up Scotty in real life. There is no teleporting, no time travel, no wormholes in space, right? There's, there's no DeLorean waiting to take you back to your future. You are stuck there for a little while. And just like when men drive without the help of Google Maps, and they end up lost. And every man in the room is thinking, well, I never get lost. I just take a different route every time, right? But just like when we drive somewhere and get ourselves lost, there is no immediate fix, but you may actually have to backtrack to where you took the wrong turn, and then you have to begin driving on the right path to get where you intended and wanted to go. There's no quick fix to it because Life's a journey. 
Life's a journey. It's not a series of hopping around via teleport. And isn't it interesting that we say things like we can lose our way in the journey of life? Maybe we know someone. Maybe we're kind of scared to say it about ourselves, but maybe we know someone that we would say of them, they have lost their way. And isn't it interesting that Jesus talked about people being lost? And isn't it interesting that we say that we can find our way on this journey? And to find our way, we have to change direction. And then when Jesus stepped onto the scene, he came preaching that people needed to change their direction. The church word for that is repent. And this is one of the reasons that an altar is so important. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I want to, we're going to talk about altars this year several times. And, and I just want to start bringing this up now. This is why the call to the front is so important after a message. This is, it's not that the altar is a destination, but the altar is meant to be a marker on your journey. The altar is meant to be a landmark. It's a stake in the ground. It's a, it's a signpost that you put up yourself. To signal to yourself where that I have backtracked to where I made the wrong turn. And God, with your help and by your grace, I am now moving in a different direction. You need an altar. You need altars in your life. We need it. And we need God's help to move forward. So the altar is important. It's hugely important. It's beautifully important. But I do want to say this as a word of caution. I'm telling you, if you leave the altar and you don't walk in a new direction, the altar is meaningless. Ooh, we got quiet in here. Hear me. I've been in church my whole life. I've seen this over and over again. I know it's stories and time. Nobody here. But, you know, I know people in the past that they came to the altar over and over and over again for the same reason, same reason, same reason, and they left every time but never started walking a different path. And that's kind of the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same things, but expecting different results. But here's the thing about being on a journey and getting lost on a journey. Number one, we're lost before we know we're lost, right? We're lost before we know that we're lost. We didn't try and get lost. That was not my intention to take a wrong turn. We thought we were headed in the right direction. I thought I was on the right highway, I thought it was on the right street. We thought we were a lot closer than we actually were. We thought we were a lot farther than we actually were. And it usually takes someone checking our progress. Sometimes it's ourselves. Usually it's somebody driving with us to tell us, hey, I think you're lost. And we don't like it when that happens, do we? Here's the second thing we know about getting lost. The road that we're on takes us where we don't want to go. And it doesn't matter how rich you are. This is still true. Doesn't matter how old you are, your color, your background, your, your, your status in life, the road you're on will take you somewhere, and if you're lost, it will take you somewhere you never wanted to go. And so there's a principle here about journeys and about being lost on a journey, and it's, it's not an especially deep principle. We all know it from this metaphor of, of life being a journey, but one of the key factors in arriving where you want to go is not that you want to get there. It's not the dream that got you driving that's going to get you to the right destination. Having goals, or if we can put it in terms of a new year, having New Year's resolutions or just saying you're going to turn over a new leaf, that is not enough to get you where you want to go. Having goals isn't enough. It's not what your intentions were when you started your journey. 
How many of you have ever heard this saying before? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Isn't it interesting that this statement, said of some maybe a thousand years after Jesus was on the scene, the road, what's that? It's, it's, it's terms and words of a journey. is paved. There's pavement here with good intentions. It's describing a path because the truth in life is this, that the path that I am following determines my destination. Not where I'm meant to go. Not my goal of getting there. Not my dream of someday being this or having this or getting this, but the path that I am following is what will determine where I end up. And this is true in every area of life. This is true in your relationships. It's true maritally. I'm not sure that that's a word, but I put it up there. It's true financially. I know this next one's not a word, but I put it up there too because I'm bold in 2019. It parentally. It's true. Professionally, the path you're on will determine where you get up morally and especially spiritually that kind of ties it all together. Spiritually, the path you're on determines where you will end up. It's not what I say my destination is. It's where the path that I am on leads me to. It's about where where the thousand small steps that I take throughout my next 365 days, it's about where they will lead me. Because see, here's the thing. We're all dreamers by nature. We all have an ideal in mind for every one of these categories, even if we've never voiced it before. We might even say that we all have an idea of where we want to end up in these areas of life. You have a picture of what you want your relationships to look like. You have an ideal in your mind of where you want your marriage to be or what you want your marriage to be, where you want to be financially next year. How many started the year with financial goals? And then your first credit card bill came from Christmas. Lord, help us. But all of these things professionally, you have an idea of what you want to be in five years. In fact, that's part of an interview process, right? Where do you see yourself in five years? And and even in your walk with God and, and your closeness with God, your experience with God, maybe your prayer life or maybe your impact on the world or the love of God that kind of flows from you and into your family to, to help them and to convert them. And, and what happens is we all have ideas of where we want to be, but then two to five years later, when we're not where we wanted to be, we get depressed. And we give up on New Year's resolutions. And we don't make a diet plan in 2019. Because we made a diet plan in 2018 to lose 10 pounds. And by December 15th, we only had 17 pounds to go. Because the path we were eating determined where we got And what happens is we get depressed because we realize that there is a gap between where I wanted to end up and where I actually find myself. And somewhere along the way, financially, somewhere along the way, spiritually, morally, I got lost and I didn't even know I was lost. And it turns out that the road that I was on took me where I never intended to go. But at the time that I dreamed the dream, At the time that I made the New Year's resolution, I had the best intentions. I had godly dreams. It was involving God 
in my life. And as we head into 2019 and we sit in a room full of a beautiful family of believers, I mean, I love my City Grace family. I love my church. I, I love that God has, has put us together and let me know you and, and get to know your life and your story. And, and even in our City Grace family, there are new people following Jesus with us this year. And I love that. I'm so glad you're here. We got new marriages in the room. We got new parents in the room. We got new jobs in the room. We got new debt in the room. And, but as we head into 2019, I don't want for you, and I'm sure you don't want for you, and I know, I know that your heavenly Father does not want for you at the end of 2019 to be a victim of the gap between where you wanted to go and where your path actually took you. See, your intentions do matter, but they are not what delivers you to the right place. What you pray for and what you dream about, it's hugely important, but ultimately intentions and dreams and prayers won't get you where you want to go. The path I'm following determines my destination. It's the steps that you take every one of those 365 days that God, by grace, gives you this year. So young man, you're thinking, man, I want to I find myself a beautiful, loving girl and caring girl and make her my wife. And I want her to be a strong Christian, a spirit-filled Christian and, and have her own relationship with God, you know. But in the meantime, until I, I meet her, I'll just date whoever's around. I'll just play the field a little bit, right? Dads and moms and single parents, I want my family to be strong. I want my family to be together in peace and happiness. I want my kids to love being at home. And even when they get older and turn into teenagers, I want them to love being with us and, and our family just love being together even when we don't have to be together. But in the meantime, I'm going to work a lot. and I'm going to take whatever overtime is available and I'm going to bring my work home with me most nights. Ouch, Right? And let me just say, I struggled a lot with this, this example because it is so expensive to live in the Bay Area. And I understand, listen, you got to provide for your family's needs. Sometimes, in some cases, maybe both parents have to work to meet their family's needs. Listen, I, I got to thinking of how I wanted to phrase this and talk about this idea of working too much and neglecting family. And I think as a pastor, I think this is where I want to land on it, that if, I think we might need to reorder our priorities if we are sacrificing time with our kids so that we can buy things for our kids. If you're sacrificing time with your family so that you can get your family a bigger house or something like that, listen, you might just need to reorder or at least check or at least get some godly advice on your priorities. But if you're just trying to make ends meet, listen, I am not trying to condemn you. I want you actually, and can I hear a good amen from the City Grace family after I say this? I want you to come talk to me because that's what God made the church for. Like if you're struggling and it's that bad, don't be too proud to come talk to me. Let your church family be the miracle that God intended it to be. Can I hear a good amen? Because, man, Bay Area is getting crazy. Let's all go to Montana, y'all. Can I hear? We're out of here. Or maybe your thing is, well, one day we want to be debt-free, but in the meantime, it was Christmas. So I had to get that credit card, that charge card, had to buy my aunt that sweater because she sent me an ugly sweater for Christmas, you know, so I'm just going to, and I'm going to spend everything that comes in, 
And I'm going to live 2019 without, you know, handcuffing myself to a budget. And, and I don't have a spending plan, so of course it's hard to have a savings plan. And, you know, I'll get generous once I have more money. You have an idea of where you want to be, but your idea and your dream is not what will get you there. It's the path that you are on. I can't wait to get past my addictions. I can't wait to get past my, my hang-ups. And I can't wait to be free from every morning needing to kind of click on that or maybe drink a little bit of that or smoke a little bit of that, you know. And I can't wait till that day. But, you know, today, well, I just need a little something to take the edge off. Just need a little something today to help settle me down. Or maybe your thing is once the kids are gone, that's when my wife will be my priority. Once the kids are gone, that's when I'll make my husband a priority. One of these days, I'm going to get spirituality figured out. One of these days, I'm going to be a, a strong Christian, you know, whatever that means, right? And someday, I'll figure out why all these other people just seem to find such purpose and, and peace in following Jesus. You know, I don't really get it, but I'm not really going to give myself to it. I know that someday, I mean, I'm basically a good person. Someday, I'll figure out, I'll study out how these people just seem to have this faith in God, this trust in God that orders every area of their lives. And it's definitely a part of my future. That's my intention. That's where I want to be. That's my goal. I'm going to be there. But now... Today, I don't really want to think about the fact that life is a little bit suspiciously like a hamster wheel, and I'm running and running and running, but I'm not really getting anywhere. Maybe it's even worse than that. Maybe I'm running, 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 and the road I'm on is taking me somewhere I never meant to go. Maybe I'm lost, and I just don't realize it yet. It's the path that I'm following that determines my destination. And I figured it'd get really quiet in the room about now. See, this is always easier to see in somebody else. This is always easier to vocalize about someone else. It's, it's hard to face up to these things on our own, especially when we, we drown ourselves in duties and distractions. And so since it's easier to see in somebody else, wouldn't you know, there was a really smart guy who lived a long time ago named Solomon who talked about this. And when he talked about this, he used a story about, you guessed it, somebody else. And he took his listeners to this high vantage point where they could see the principle play out below them and understand everything that was going to happen because that's what we like to do. We like to sit apart from catastrophe and watch other people head for catastrophe and then tweet about the train wreck we just witnessed. That's what we like to do. It's why the young and the restless is in its millionth season. You notice that the show's called The Young and the Restless and not The Experienced Who Now Know Better. It's just... Nobody likes the boring, good life. We just we want to see train wrecks, right? And so Solomon was one of the wisest people who had a very good life to begin with and became a train wreck later on. He actually became old and restless, didn't follow his, old, his own advice, and his life ended tragically, in my opinion. But during his heyday, when Solomon was just like dropping people's jaws with his wisdom and his, his judgments, and everybody was like, wow, Solomon, he wrote some things down, and he gathered some young men around him to teach them about life. And it's, it's an amazing book. It's found in, it's part of the old ancient Jewish writings. And about 300 AD was collected with the sayings of Jesus and the Jesus movement. And, and it's now part of what we call the Bible. But Solomon, as he's illustrating this principle, 
He actually uses a story of a naive young man, a simple young man, he calls him, and a seductive woman. And when we get into the story, here's the temptation. At first, you're going to think that this story is just about sex or romance or something like that. But it's not. I think Solomon did that to get our attention. But it's not just about that. Notice the language that Solomon uses throughout the story as we go through this. And so Solomon is telling this kind of young and restless parable to try and teach us, not just in the the sex or romance area of life, but in every area of life. What we see as a diversion or what we might see as a detour is actually an unintended direction that will lead us to a place that we never intended to go. So wise old Solomon gathers some young men around him and some naive young men around him to to introduce them and to introduce the world to an ancient version of the young and the restless. And we find it in Proverbs chapter 7, starting at verse 6. He says, at the window of my house, I look down through the lattice. So I'm up high. We're up high, guys. I'm going to take us to that place. And we're in the palace. And we're kind of spying down on all the commoners below. And we're looking through the lattice. So they don't know we're here, and we can kind of not affect the story. We can just kind of watch it play out below us. I looked down through the lattice, and I saw among the simple. I noticed among the young men a youth who had no sense. He had no, that's kind of harsh, isn't it? He had no judgment. And we all know it takes two things to get good judgment and good sense, right? It takes time, and it takes experience. This young man had neither And he goes on in verse 9, he was going down the street near her corner. So everybody knows who she is. Everybody knows where she lives. And he was walking along, notice that word, in the direction, notice that word, of her house at twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of night sets in. Here we go. This is that journey thing. It's a pathway thing. It's leading somewhere. This young, maybe didn't, this young man maybe didn't have bad intentions when he started, but he didn't have any sense either. And so he didn't realize that the path he was on would take him somewhere. Maybe he didn't intend to go. In verse 10, then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute with crafty intent. Solomon starts setting up the story. He's been up in this window looking down through this lattice for a long time. He knows all about her, knows where she lives, knows who she is. He knows what's going on. She has crafty intent. I've seen this story play out before. She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner, she lurks. Anybody know the soundtrack to Jaws? Yeah, yeah. It's going in your head right now, isn't it? Solomon is wise. Solomon is above it all. He's bringing us all above the whole situation. And we know what's going to happen, don't we? Young man, no sense, walking by a woman's house who has crafty intent or evil intent, who's restless and unruly. He's seen this play out before. He knows where this story is headed Right? And he goes on in verse 13. She took hold of him and kissed him. And with a brazen face, she said, and this is where it gets, you know, I'm sorry about this. If there's any kids in the room, it gets a little bit R-rated here. Today I fulfilled my vows. Look at that R-rated language. And I have food from my fellowship offering at home. Man, she's talking so dirty. Didn't even know if I could say this in church, Right? No, she's not talking dirty, is she? She's playing the good girl. Today I fulfilled my vows. I just got home from church. 
I don't know if it's a Jewish temple or a pagan temple. Solomon doesn't tell us, but I just fulfilled my vows and I have food from my fellowship offering at home. There's nothing wrong with the fellowship offering. Fellowship is what the church wants us to do. So let's do it. Let's do fellowship. I mean, after all, the New Testament says, greet your brethren with a holy kiss. So I just kissed you. Now it's time for some fellowship. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you. I have found you. And he's thinking, boy, I'm special. What we have is unique. Nobody ever in the history of the world has felt what we feel and the soundtrack from Titanic is playing in the background and oh. She was looking for me, and he's thinking, I'm one in a million. But Solomon knows, and we all know, he's not one in a million, is he? He's one. <laughs> yeah, you guys know her too. <laughs> he goes on, verse 16. She says to him, I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. And for us, that like doesn't really make a lot of sense. But you got to understand, in the ancient world, everything stunk. Everything was nasty. The, the world, the street smelled like manure and body fluid. It was just gross all around. In some places, there was sewage either in the streets or right behind all the houses. It stunk where they were. Animals used to live in the lower chambers of houses in those days. It stunk, and there was dirt and dust and hot you know, sun and sweat and bad breath. There was no teeth brushes back then, and I didn't mispronounce that. It's teeth brushes. That's how you know that word was invented in Arkansas. Anywhere else it would be called a teeth brush, but from Arkansas it's called a toothbrush, you know, because there's only one. Jokes aren't funny when you got to explain it. There was no right guard in those days. There's no left guard in those days. Stank came right up the middle. There was nothing to hold it back. She's saying, I am an oasis for you. I am an escape, a refuge from the stench of your life, from all of the things that make you curl your nose. And it's not just for anyone. I've been looking for you. I've been waiting for you in the place I've made for you perfect. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. Now wait, why, why till morning? What's going on here? Oh, there's a catch. Turns out she's married. Oh, but you don't have to worry about that. Ignore that little detail. Ignore and don't worry about what that might say about the road you're on. I've been looking for you. I've been waiting for you. All of this is prepared for you. And besides that, my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey and he took his purse, which is a little confusing in 2019. So I wanted to bring in some clarity from the NASB version and because some of you are out there thinking, oh, well, that's why she was out there, because husband had a purse. But no, he says, he has taken a bag of money with him, and at the full moon, he will come home. And here's the translation of what she's saying. There's no consequences to what we do. There's no long-term damage. We can take a detour on this journey and not get derailed. We can take a wrong turn on the journey and still end up at the right destination. 
and with persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. Everybody say smooth talk. Oh, come on. If you're with the one you love, come on, look at him and say smooth talk. Mmm. Mmm. All at once, he followed her. You bet he followed her. Sounded pretty good to a young man with no sense. You bet he followed her. No consequences. No long-term damage. No one will know. I might be a few minutes late, but eventually I'll get where I'm going. I'm young. I've got a whole life ahead of my whole life ahead of me. And, you know, she's been looking for me. She's prepared all of this for me. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It would be rude not to. It would be silly and ungentlemanly of me to miss out on this opportunity tailor-made for me. I'm special. I know the rules of life have messed up other people's lives, but I'm different. I know the rules of finance and, and relationships and career applied to other people, but I'm, I'm special. I am the exception. And Solomon has already told us that he's a naive, simple young man with no sense. And Solomon's thinking, how else can I describe him to my audience? At once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter. I'm an ox. No, 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 Solomon, this is one of the greatest opportunities of my life. Solomon, you're just me- you just hate me because you ain't me. Solomon's looking at him like, man, I got 700 wives and 300 side ladies. I've been you. I bought the T-shirt and I made my own T-shirt company. I know what you are. You're like an ox headed to the slaughter. Just so happy that the farmer would start feeding you the good hay and you're starting to get a little bit fat and you don't even understand what's going on. You can't even see the billboard above your head for ox steak. You're like an ox going to the slaughter. What else are you like? You're like a deer stepping into a noose until an arrow pierces his liver. Come on, Solomon. You're being so old-fashioned. No one's going to get hurt out of all this. Least of all me. I'm still young. I've got my whole life ahead of me. And Solomon's shaking his head, and he's still not done. He's like, you're like a bird darting into a snare. And little knowing it will cost you your life. It will cost you this one experience, this one detour, this one step from the path you were on Onto another path, even though you did not intend to go here, it will cost you the thing that you think you have so much of. And then Solomon kind of pulls back out of the story and he turns to the young men around him and he pauses the DVR on the young and the restless and he turns and he starts talking to these young men, the ones for whom he's invented this whole parable. And he says, now then, my sons, listen to me and pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart Turn, oh, the words of a journey, to her ways, oh, like a journey, or stray, like a trip, to her paths. It's the language of travel. It's the language of direction. It's the language of diversions and detours and, and your, you know, U-turns. And what you think is, is just a way is actually ways. What you think is just a side path 
path is going to lead you into a tangled web of paths. And it does not matter what you intended at the beginning, you are going to end up lost. Once you end up in those back streets and side streets, you are going to realize much later on, I was lost the whole time and I didn't know it. And it turns out that the path that I started walking took me somewhere I never meant to go. And Solomon is trying to teach this young man, and he's trying to teach us wisdom, trying to plant wisdom in us, that the choices that we make early on in the journey affect the outcome later. That your now is not disconnected from your later. When you are young, and even when you're into your 20s, because now that I'm, just, it's, it's all 40s young now. But when you're young, you think you're invincible. You think you're going to live forever. You think that whatever you do now has no impact on later, right? I mean, the past is the past, and, and what I do now is now, and it's disconnected from that. And it's not going to affect the future, because the future is still someday. And Solomon is telling him, telling us, many are the victims she has brought down. You're not one in a million. You're one of a million. I've seen this happen time and time and time and time again. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. You ever wonder why counselors seem so smart? You ever had to go to a counselor? You ever wonder why counselors seem so smart? If you talk to Bishop, I talk to my dad sometimes. My dad's so smart. I talk to my dad sometimes. Should talk to my dad more because he's so smart. And it seemed like the older I got, the smarter he got. It was amazing the educational transformation that he had from like my 18 to 28 years. Dad, you went, you, you went to school or something. You got smart. You want to know why counselors are so smart? Because paths are predictable. And they know, they've seen it play out time and time again, that the path that you are on ends at a set destination. And it doesn't matter your intentions. It doesn't matter your goals or your dreams. Listen to me. It doesn't even matter how much you pray. Now, don't check out yet. I'm not done. doesn't matter how much you read your Bible or go to church or how many times you come to the altar, maybe how many times you feed the hungry. If you stay on that path, you will end up where you never intended to end up. So one might even say that the goal of our prayers and the goal of altars and the goal of small groups and a church family is so that we can be close to people who we give access to speak into our lives and tell us, hey, I think you're lost. You need a church family. You need someone to speak to you, to speak over you, to walk with you and to guide you, to tell you. We come to pastors and counselors looking for a solution, and they don't have one. We come to pastors and counselors looking for a quick fix, but just as there was a path you traveled that brought you to where you are, there was another path that you have to travel to get to where you should be. It's a journey. Life is a journey, and journeys take lots of time moving in the right direction. Now think about this. I mean, this, once you start seeing this, it's all over the Bible. When Jesus stepped onto the scene and he started calling his disciples to be with, with him and part of his movement, what invitation did he give to them? It was two words. What did he say? Follow me. Follow me. I see the path you're on. 
And even though you're part of Israel, and even though you got good intentions, and even though you might love God, the path you're on will take you where you maybe don't want to go. So I am inviting you to follow me onto a new path. He didn't say pray, pray one prayer and you'll be saved. He didn't say go shake a preacher's hand and that's all you need to worry about. Sign a commitment card to a church and you'll go to heaven after you die. He doesn't want to give you a momentary experience and then you wander off into paths you never meant to be on. He wants to be a companion for your journey. He wants to walk with you and at times carry you. He wants to shield you and go before you and be behind you until you're right and to your left and you're... Oh, that's why we call him our shield and our protector. We call him our champion. We call him our help. We call him our wonderful counselor. We call him Jesus, everything we need, and so much more. Because we are following him. And so what we should be asking ourselves at every moment of our journey, and every moment in 2019, is in what way am I following Jesus? And maybe in all my ways am I following Jesus. Because I think Jesus would say what Solomon was trying to say. That what we thought was a disconnected detour was actually a pathway that led us where we never meant to go. It was actually a path that led us where we never meant to go. This, this idea here, and I, I, I'm giving... I, I, I'm studying on this thing, and you guys are going to hear it later on in the year, and this idea that little things add up until suddenly we realize that all of the little things have actually turned into a really big thing. This is something that I'm developing for later this year. I think it's one of the most important things that you need to learn, that I need to learn, that we need to hear and, and put into practice as, as Jesus followers. This is what it's about, to be a Jesus follower. It's not about a one-time thing. It's not. It's not. It's so much richer than that it is so much more beautiful, it's so much more relational than that. God loves you. God loves you. And how much time are you spending with him? How much access are you giving him into your life? I mean, what do we think is going to happen that we don't know God very well here and then when we get to heaven, maybe we'll like spending time with someone we don't really know or maybe we won't? It's, it's so much different than a one-time thing. It's not fire insurance for the afterlife. Jesus has called us to something so beautiful and so fulfilling and so satisfying. He said, I have come to give you life and life to the full. And you follow him into that kind of life. Solomon is not done giving us the instruction. Her house is a highway to the grave leading down to the chambers of death. Her house isn't a highway. Her house is a house. How can a house be a highway? Or maybe in your modern context, your experience following Jesus before, surely it's not sin to go into someone's house. Surely it's not a sin. Pastor, is that a sin for me to eat a fellowship offering with a beloved sister? Surely it's not a sin to smell the perfume. To feel the softness of the Egyptian cotton. And Solomon would say, you ox, you're happy because you think you're getting the good stuff. And you don't even know that you're on the menu for oxtail stew. Her house is taking you somewhere you never intended to go. And for a lot of us in the room, you're thinking, well, man, I'm glad that he's preaching to the young men today. 
and you just got a credit card for Christmas. You just fudged your numbers for overtime last week. And you're wondering if you're going to report all of your income on your April taxes. You're wondering if you're just going to hold back a little bit of that info or miss church this week, or maybe I'll just skip this semester of small groups, or maybe I'll just indulge in that habit one, just one more time before I let it go. You ox, deer, you bird caught in a snare, not even realizing that it's going to cost you your life because your good intentions are not enough to get you where you've dreamed of going. It's the path that you are following that determines your destination. Mm. Mm. Can we pause a moment? Can we just, come on, if you've got something right now, come on, can you just begin to give it to God? Jesus, you see this thing. God, you know this thing that I've been struggling with. You see this thing that's been haunting me, stalking me. Help me, help me, help me to realize it's a detour. It's a detour. It's going to lead me somewhere I never meant to go. So, as we start 2019, I just I want us to stop before we start. I want us to just take a moment and pull out the map and check our destination and, and check out a, you know, check our steps against what we say we want and where we say we're headed and see if you know the eventual destination of the path that we're on, the path that we're on with our relationships, the path that we're on with our marriage, the path that we're on with our finances, the path that we may be on morally, or maybe the path that we're on spiritually and your walk with God and your relationship with God. Where what path are you on? Not what do you want to be, but what steps are you taking today and tomorrow and next Sunday and the Sunday after that? And I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm just, I'm just asking, uh, have you made sure that the path you're on will get you where you want to go? Are you at peace with where your path is taking you? Because I don't want, and you don't want, and your heavenly Father sure does not want for you and I to be victims of the gap that exists between where we want to be and where the path that we're on is taking us. For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.